This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us for another message from Pastor Jeff. My name's Aaron, and you're listening to Today with Jeff Fines. We hope that this series titled At the Movies has really engaged you and helped you see how good fantasy stories, whether you're familiar with these movies or not, actually can correlate to the story of the gospel. We really encourage you to go back and listen again to the other episodes. And if you've missed them, you can find them wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds. Today at the movies, Pastor Jeff is looking at a movie titled Soul, which is a beautiful and surprising movie by Disney Pixar. If you're wondering how all of this fits together in a message and how the movie Soul correlates with the gospel, here's Pastor Jeff. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. It's a passage that we've looked at often, but never to the detail that we're going to look at this weekend. As you're doing that, do you know what twofers are? Twofers? Two for the price of one? Is that what you, you still call them, or is that old man language? I love two-fours, two for the price of one. The problem is I, I seldom get the thing that I really want. Like, I don't really need two loaves of bread for the price of one. I'm totally off bread and sugar right now, which is why I've lost my total meaning of living. But I want things like two rounds of golf for the price of one, all right? Two kids for the price of one. Can you hear me on that one? Two college educations for the price of one. How about this? How about two speeding tickets for the price of one? So I get a ticket and I pay the fine, but then it's buy one, get one free. So the next time I get pulled over for speeding, I just say to the police officer, sorry, but I'm gonna use my freebie on this, you have to let me go. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. How about two dumb things you say to your wife for the price of one? One price is intense enough, isn't it? So how about two for the price of one? And then I think, okay, how about two lives for the price of one? So we're in a series called At the Movies, and we're doing something that Jesus did, really, in his everyday teaching. We are taking a modern narrative and we're showing you how every good story, the best of stories, points ultimately to the ultimate story, the good news of the gospel, the story of redemption. And this week we're looking at the movie called Soul. And I gotta tell you, it's been a long time since I've been surprised by a movie. When you get my age, you've already seen all the plots. They're so predictable, which is why you start watching documentaries on PBS and you, you thrive, you, you take a great risk, and you go to the movie again, and you've paid all this money, and the entire time you sit there wondering why you've spent so much money in a remake of a story that you've seen a thousand times. Solomon was right, you say to yourself, there's nothing new under the sun. But when I watched Soul, I felt like someone had broken into Pixar and Disney, 
the studios, stolen the script, rewrote it, and then returned it without anybody noticing. Because soul is anti-Disney. There's no follow your heart, wish upon a star, pursue all your dreams, and happily ever after in soul. In fact, soul tells the story of Joe Gardner, a middle school band teacher who dreams of making it in life as a jazz pianist. That's the goal of his life, and in his own words, that's the very purpose for which he had been born. So Joe, and guys, I'm really talking to you this weekend. I'm talking to everybody, but especially you guys. Joe works his entire life waiting for a ship to come in, pursues it with great passion and intensity, deliberation, and then suddenly, in the older age of his life, he gets the opportunity to play a concert with jazz legend Dorothy Williams. He gets the job, he walks out, he gets on his cell phone to call his family and his friends, and just at that moment when he's about to finally catch what he's been pursuing all of his life, manhole, he falls into a manhole. You didn't see the next scene, but he's dead. That's why it's called soul. And Joe's soul immediately leaves his body and the earth and ascends into the great beyond. Predictably, he's moving up this great staircase, this great escalator, and there are innumerable souls, infinite number of souls all around him going up the same escalator. He's getting closer and closer to the bright light, so predictable, but Joe realizes that he's dead, and he starts running down the escalator, and he's saying, no, no, send me back. I was so close, my passion, my purpose, my reason for living, the reason I was born, send me back. Send me back. Now, in order to glean everything we should from this modern narrative, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to go on a little journey, and I'm going to ask you to lean in, to really think about this, because I want to ask you three questions, and they're going to go quite quickly. And here's the first one. And it's the question soul asks you. Do you believe that you existed before you were conceived? Not before you were born, before you were conceived. The movie Soul does. Souls, the essential you, exists in a place called the great before. And not yet born people are guided by a mentor who helps them find their spark before joining their bodies and returning to earth or going to earth the first time. A spark is your gifts, your talents, your abilities, that thing that fires you up. That is your reason in your mind for living. So imagine walking through an entire supermarket, a warehouse, but instead of groceries and goods on the shelves, there are talents, gifts, and abilities, and you get to walk through this warehouse until you find the one that you want. And then you join your body, and you are conceived, born, and live your life on planet Earth. So you get to choose whether you're going to be a musician, an orator, an athlete, in sports medicine or sports psychology, maybe a coach or a mentor or a mechanic or engineering or an inventor or a marketer, if you're really holy, a golfer, what you choose becomes your spark, that thing that entices you and excites you and motivates you while you're living in your body on planet Earth. So before you're physically born, according to Soul, the movie, Disney and Pixar, your soul lives in the great before, gathering its talents and abilities, its spark, your personality, your temperament, all that makes you, you. Now, don't you find it interesting that in a very real way, this represents the Bible's teaching on humanity? Let me read to you the verse that we've referred to but never dissected. For you created my inmost being. That's the Hebrew word kilyah. Kilyah means, ready for this? It's deep and profound, kidneys. But when it's used, 
In a figurative manner, the Hebrew concept then is the seat of your emotions, the depth of your inside, the essential you, your talents, your abilities, your expression of those talents and abilities, even your calling. And we're told by the psalmist that God created our kilyah inmost being, that he knit us together in our mother's womb. And then we're told, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. These are two Hebrew words. Have you ever seen anything in your life? You come upon it, and it's so well put together. It's so complex, and yet so usable and practical and amazing that you say, wow, how did you do that? That's the meaning of the Hebrew word translated wonderful and fearful. That when somebody looks at you and you're operating the way God wired you to operate, they're going to stand back and they're going to think, wow, how did you do that? And when added with this Hebrew word that's translated wonderful, this is a word for intricate detail, piece by piece by piece. So everything that makes you, you, when you're operating in that way, in the, in the passion that God has given you and your abilities, people will stand back and think how awesome you are. And then to make sure we don't miss the point, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. That's a Hebrew word that refers to a place that nobody knows other than God. So before you were conceived, before nine months, before you were born, God made you in a secret place that is only known to him. And then the Bible says, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. So there's a contrast between that secret place where God made you, and then now you go into the womb at conception, and then you're made in the depths of the earth. That's just the contrast between heaven and earth. And then we're told, again for clarification, your eyes saw my unformed body. That's the Hebrew word for embryo. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The whole point of that section is that God's knowledge of you is exhaustive. He knows your talents, your abilities, your temperament, your characteristics, and he also knows that even though other people may have similar talents and personalities and characteristics, no one expresses them quite the way you do. Knowing that, then God takes you and sets you in a moment, a time, and a place where he's going to use you to achieve his ultimate purpose for humanity and in the world. Now, the whole time I was writing this message, I was tempted to do a message on abortion. Can you see why? Disney and Pixar are betraying their own political motives. If you exist before an embryo, if there is a great before where you are put together and constructed, that means life begins a lot earlier than conception. That you have a soul that is eternal, that is in the great past and the great beyond. That's why Paul says in Acts 17, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. That means before we are born of an earthly father, we are born of the spiritual father, God himself. Now, some of you might say, Pastor Jeff, are you telling me that I was with God before I was conceived and born? I don't have any recollection of that. Let me ask you to think about something, okay? I don't know exactly how this works, but I do know this. Why is there something deep in your soul that tells you something is missing? Why aren't you perfectly happy and content with where you are? Why is there another place you want to be? Why do you possess a deep desire to be loved? That's a big one. Why do you have a passion to love and to be loved? 
Time plus matter plus chance can't give you that. If you're the result of time plus matter plus chance, then that's about the survival of the fittest. That's where the strong oppress the weak. There's no desire to love but to be what? Powerful. Why is it that you want to be loved so desperately? Why do you want to love? Why do you feel the need to love and be loved? Is it possible that you came from a place in eternity past where there was perfect unity and community and love and you're trying to get yourself back to that kind of love that you know down deep inside really exists? The essential you. And why does your entire life feel like a journey toward a place you once knew? You can't quite put your finger on it, but something down deep inside in your kill yard knows that there's something better. Paul says we are his offspring. You have a father of your flesh, but you also have the father of your soul. And this is why we long to be at home with our father. Even though our flesh overwhelms us with the need to feel safe and secure here, we know ultimately we're never going to be truly safe and secure until we're in the arms of the father. And you know that. Every man in this room and I really want to hone in on you guys. I want to ask you guys to lean in. I'm, I know you may not believe this, but I am a man. <laughs> Some of you may question that from time to time. But I'm a guy. And I can tell you that if you're honest with yourself, and I'm honest with myself, and we're not trying to be super spiritual here, deep down inside of you and me, in our inmost being, in our kilya, where our passions reside, we know that no matter how much wealth and how much good health and how much liberty we have, possess, or attain, there will always be a ground note running of cosmic disappointment. That it only lasts for a little while. That we are in desperate need of something that we just can't put our finger on. C.S. Lewis said it better than anybody else when he said most people, if they really learn how to look into their own hearts, would know that they want something this world can never give them. These are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning will ever satisfy. There is always something that we have grasped at that first moment of longing that just fades away with reality. The thing we thought we were going to get in the new experience always evades us. Soul never addresses the question of who made the great before. It doesn't, or the great beyond. But it does reinforce the idea that our existence does not begin with our physical birth. Now, can I just give your parents a warning quickly? You know, I've never been one to say, hey, don't let your kids watch any television. Disney, evil. No. I've always been one to say, just be careful that it's you that's forming their worldview, not Disney and Pixar. And so if you're going to use Disney to babysit your kid, and I understand that actually sometimes. Sometimes you're about ready to pull your hair out. So rather than pull your hair out, it's okay to put a little Disney on. Cars one, two, three, and four never hurt anybody. <laughs> but use it as teaching points. When you see something that contradicts the Christian worldview, your kids are smarter than you know, than you think they are. Sit them down and just say, let me explain something to you. Here's the second question. Do you believe in the brevity of life? Soul does. Disney typically avoids, and Pixar, the, the, uh, the topic of death. But in the movie Soul, death is front and center. And Soul teaches you that death can strike at any moment, any time, any place for anyone. Do you believe that? I mean, really believe it so much so to the degree that it would change the way you're living your life, that you could know you could die tomorrow. 
one hour after this message. Do you really believe that? When I was growing up in the 80s, I loved 80s music. I still do love 80s music. I love 80s music and progressive jazz. They're nothing alike, but I love them both. There was a group called, and I think they were a one-hit wonder. Do you remember Blue Oyster Cult? Anybody? Do you remember the song they did, Don't Fear the Reaper? And the line throughout the entire song, over and over, all our times will come. Not the kind of song you want to start every day with. All our times will come. And then they do what most rock, rock songs don't do. They give us stats. I mean, how do you give stats in a rock song? 120 people die every minute. 60 million people die every, every year. 60 million people die every year. 120 people die every one minute. Perhaps Disney's portrayal of an endless escalator with an infinite number of souls moving to the great light is not that far off. Soul teaches us. It's a great movie. I really encourage you to watch it. It tells us that you have no guarantee how long you're going to live. Everything is going well, guys. You've been working hard for this goal, this dream. You're about to get your break, the break that changes everything. Manhole, you're dead. James 4.14, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day might bring. And then Psalm 39, watch carefully. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Now, why would the psalmist say, God, show me how brief my life is? And the answer is because he wants to know the right way to live. And that's the third and final question. Do you believe there is a right and a wrong way to live? And I'm not talking about morality. I'm talking about pragmatically. Do you think there is a way to live that leads to a joy-filled, satisfying life, to absorb everything from life that it truly offers before your time comes? Guys, let me say again, I'm really focusing on you. It applies to everyone. But I want to talk to you. Here is the mistake that we make when living our lives, you and me. It's the mistake that Joe Gardner makes in the movie, and we're all guilty of it, and I am the chief of all sinners, and I'm pleading with you. If you don't get this right, you will never find joy and peace and any kind of lasting pleasure. I have schematized my life many times. Let me give you the short version. Basketball player, my entire life is basketball. My meaning is basketball. If I can just climb that ladder, if I can just get to that point where I will be adored and seen as successful, so I don't go to Christian camps, I don't go on fun vacations with my friends, I do very little things other than constantly, they call me the gym rat, which means I live in the gym. It doesn't happen. I end up in Africa. So now I shift gears. I'm gonna to go to Africa and change the world. I'm gonna do something nobody else can do. I'm gonna pursue this goal and people are gonna know my name. And then I go to seminary. I'm gonna graduate at the top of my class. I'm gonna give the valedictorian speech. Then I go to New Zealand. People said, don't go to New Zealand, Pastor Jeff. It's too hard there. It's a post-Christian nation. You'll never be successful. That just lights a fire. I'll show you. I'll show you that I can be successful, that I can really matter, that I can achieve something. And then from there to Savannah, from Savannah to Los Angeles. So that I come to a point in my life when I'm 45 years old and I realize I have never truly enjoyed my life. Because I'm never in the moment. I'm always somewhere else. Constantly thinking about how I'm going to get to that next thing until my daughter has to look me in the eye when we're visiting her in Thailand and she says, Dad, you are never really here. 
Do you understand that, guys? That there's nothing wrong with passion until it ruins your life. And when your passions bring destruction, they seldom destroy only one life. The irony in the movie Soul is that Joe somehow manages to run down that escalator. He manages to return to earth. You're not supposed to be able to do that. And he does perform with jazz legend Dorothy Williams. He finds himself achieving the haloed goal for which he's been living his entire life. And then suddenly in a scene, we find him standing out on the road alone, crushed under the weight of a passion that failed to satisfy the deepest hungers of his heart and soul. And he simply utters this one line, it's not what I thought it would be. Of course it isn't, it can't be. I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is Disney, what happened to Happily Ever After? Where, why isn't the princess waking up? Why doesn't the, the puppet become a boy? When is Cinderella gonna be woken up by her prince? Awaken, and where's Mater and Lightning and why aren't they crossing the finish line? Disney just got real. If you think the purpose for which you were born is the same thing as your passion, you're gonna live with a bitter disappointment. They're not the same. Christianity is not a philosophy whose primary goal is to ruin your fun. You know, God is pleased when his children are at play. I love golf, I think God is pleased. I do. When you're doing the thing you enjoy, within those parameters, I think God is pleased. He is happy that you enjoy his creation. He looked at it and said, it's good. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I just finished reading an article in Time Magazine. It was an article that featured the results of a rather lengthy study concerning suicide. I wish I could give you all the discoveries. Let me just give you two. Number one, the article said that suicides are more common among the rich and famous. So the more wealth you have and the more famous you are, the greater the risk of suicide. And then it said this, and I had to read it a couple times. Once you make $75,000, everything you make over that per year has no effect on long-term happiness. Do you hear what he's saying? Once you make, everything you make over $75,000 a year has no effect on your long-term happiness. And then he goes on to say, that's why lower and middle-class income people, that's most of us, often enjoy life more than the rich and famous. Well, there you go. Now you've got something on those wealthy people, stinkers. <laughs> I started thinking about how the truth is that most of, most of us, you and me, don't have the means to be fooled. Our pleasures are not superficial, because superficial pleasures are expensive and we can't afford them. Instead, things like friendship and family and togetherness and community and church and benevolence are the most precious experiences in life. But when people tell us that, we think that they're just saying that to make us feel better and because we're poor. When Joe returns home after his performance with Dorothy Williams, He's achieved the pinnacle of his success, the goal. He sits down at the piano and he begins to play and he realizes for the first time in his life he's not playing to get somewhere, he's simply playing for the sheer pleasure of it. When a gift 
passion or spark remains just that, something that lights a fire in us, rather than the carrier of all our hopes and dreams, we're going to find joy again. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. C.S. Lewis said it better than anybody else when he said most people, if they really learn how to look into their own hearts, would know that they want something this world can never give them. These are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning will ever satisfy. There is always something that we have grasped at that first moment of longing that just fades away with the reality. The thing we thought we were going to get in the new experience always evades us. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.